Well, good morning to the Apostolic Church of Liverpool. Morning to you. Morning to those who are on holiday this morning. Who are with us. Morning to those that aren't with us. Because <laughs> I don't know where they might be. I hope that nothing is not a problem. And I also want to say good morning to Diana. Good morning, Diana. Good morning to Diana. Diana was out of a dear friend of our church, Doug and Vicky Davis in New York. In what's the name of the village? Old Westbury, New York. Some of the men went with me to meet Pastor Doug Davis, but we had the worst snowstorm in 50 years, and we literally had to flee out of New York down to Philadelphia. So it is wonderful to have you with us for this week, Diana. And guess, men, and guess whose church is out of right now? Bill Kelly. You're ugly. There's only one who can say that to us, Bill, isn't there? The only one I know that can walk up to a gang member and go, Ugly, come here. I went just because he said it. <laughs> he actually goes to Pastor Rick and Vicky Gonzalez's church right now. And you, you come from two fantastic churches. You do. But you come from fantastic people too. We love them. Two we love dearly, the Davises and the Gonzalez's. You're right there. So you're in good hands, aren't you, really? <laughs> so it is. I've got a quick question before we go. The missions box is up here. Put the missions in a little tithe envelope and put who your missionary is, put it in, because tomorrow we will be sending it out, or Monday, Monday to Monday, we'll be sending it to headquarters so they can get their funds. So, Sharon, before you, there's a missions box, I know you give me one month, but if you just put it in the tithe envelope, it does say foreign missions on there, just put your, put your name, date, your missionary, and your amount, and then that will go the first of every month to headquarters in England, and then it goes to headquarters in St. Louis, and the missionary will get their missions sponsorship from us. So, awesome. What an absolute wonderful morning. I love worship. I do. I love worship. There's something happens to me when I worship. Something phenomenal happens to me when I worship. And I probably, you, you probably recognize by now, I don't even know most people are around me when I begin to worship. Why? I do that purposely because I want to worship God. And I don't let anybody stop me. Ever. No one can intimidate me. <laughs> to stop me lifting my hands and doing a stupid dance that I might do once in a while. But they call it the pastor's shuffle or something. I don't know what they call it. I don't care. I just don't care. <laughs> Amen. I just don't care. Do you care? you care him when you're getting all crazy down there? I don't care. Bill with his crazy little dance, he doesn't care. Anybody else? I just don't care. I don't want to care. I really don't. I just don't even think that you're standing behind me. The only reason I knew you was there because I bumped into you when I was worshipping. Our hands met in midair. I thought Jesus had just reached down and grabbed my hand. 
But you know, Jesus listens to Maria, don't you? <laughs> she prayed for a pastor who was a builder. I said, why do you pray for a pastor who was an architect or something? I wouldn't have it any other way. So, if you would, this morning, just let me preach for three hours. I hope your potatoes burn. Your chicken shrivels up to the size of a sparrow. Because that means you've told God that I'm, I'm, I'm timing this service this morning. I am going to time... I am going to time the service in your presence because I am preparing this. So whatever you want to do to me this morning, you better do it quick because I'm prepared to leave and come home and do this stuff. And yes, Jane and Ernie, I know you had your potatoes last week so I can say it funnily this week. But it is... We're not going to limit God. We can't limit God. We cannot limit God. What cannot we do? Limit God. We've got to stop. He, he, he said, the Spirit was given to Jesus without limitations. That same limitless Spirit was given to you and I. But we continue to limit God. That song was fantastic. I could just, I could just sing that song all morning. I really could. It got me. Some of you and me started to get stirred up when I was... Created to worship. I'm not created to worry. I'm not created for fears. And everyone puts a hand up. I've got fears. We're not created to fear because God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and the power of a sound mind. He did not let us have anything that would separate us from Him. Nothing in our life when we're in the kingdom of God is designed to keep us away from Him. It is completely and utterly designed to keep us with Him and in His trust so He can put His arms around me and hold me. Isn't that amazing? So when I look around, I'm not looking at anybody, but when hands are down and the worship is going on and your hands are down, consider your ways. Because that's why it's heaven. I just can't lift my hands up. Because you're so bound within your own heart and in your own life. You just don't know what freedom's like because everything's about you and not on him. And that's the loving, kindest way I can put it. So if you would stand with me for the reading of the word this morning, I'll be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1 to verse 7, and I'm reading from the Amplified. There's no these and those, but it is very expressive the way it is put forward. That's why I like reading it from the Amplified. Therefore, since we do hold and engage in this ministry by the mercy of God, granting us favor, benefits, opportunities, and especially salvation, we do not get discouraged, spiritless, and despondent with what? Fear. Or become faint with weariness and exhaustion. We have renounced disgraceful ways, secret thoughts, feelings, desires, and underhandedness. The methods and arts that men hide through. We refuse to deal craftily, to practice trickery and cunning, or to adulterate or handle dishonestly the Word of God. But we state the truth openly, clearly, and candidly. 
And so we can commend ourselves in the sight and the presence of God to every man's conscience. But even if our gospel, the glad tidings, also be hidden, obscured and covered up with a veil that hinders the knowledge of God. It is hidden only to those who are perishing. And obscured only to those who are spiritually dying. And veiled only to those who are lost. I'm going to come back to that scripture. For the God of this world has blinded the unbeliever's mind, that they should not discern the truth, preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ the Messiah, who is the image and in the likeness of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves merely as your servant slave, Jesus. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness and shine in our hearts. So as to be forth the light for the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and glory of God. This is profound. As it is manifest in the person and is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ the Messiah. However, we possess this precious treasure, this divine light of the gospel in frail human vessels of earth, of clay, that the grandeur and exceeding greatness of the power might be shown to be from God and not from, not from. Father, before we take our seats once more, again, thank you for letting us be here this Sunday morning. I have breath in my body today, God. I have the air in my lungs to breathe, to bring in a worship out of my life, a worship out of my heart, a worship out of my soul to you. That I would pray today, God, that again, once more, that our heart would be open to you, that I would understand and feel and recognize and experience the things of my God that you have given to me. That it is not because of who I am, God, because it is who you are. That the power may be shown to be from you and not from ourselves. Then I would pray again, God, that every man, woman in this building today, that their heart would be open and their spirit would be ready and willing to accept and to receive. Your word would, would go forward, God, and it would, it would crush the, the darkness that we hold, decimate darkness in our life and in our hearts, that my hands once more would be obviously lifted to you in worship and praise. So in your word I pray, today use this vessel of clay to minister to your precious people in this congregation today in heightened Liverpool. So in the name of Jesus we pray and the congregation together says, Amen, Amen. So be it. God bless you. Thank you for standing for the reading of the most precious words ever penned to mankind. I want to go back when it says here, who is the image and the likeness of God? He is God. For what we preach is not ourselves. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. Every person in this building that has been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and has been filled with the precious gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence 
of the tongues of God speaking through out of your heart, through your mouth, that God would use your lips and your tongue to pronounce those words. It is no longer about you because you died at the baptism. That you agreed with God, you made a covenant with God, I believe you and I'm doing this because I want my life to be started all over again. That was your covenant that you made with God, your agreement with God that I will turn away from darkness because I know what you have for me is eternal, not temporal. That is temporal, and temporal things, God, are destroying me. So I I agreed that day when I went under the waters of baptism that my life was no no, no longer going to be controlled. That my life now is in your hands. Controlled by your Spirit. Led by your Spirit that I would no longer walk in darkness. Watch this. We are bombarded with every single thing that is visual. Everything that is visual. We are now captivated by technology. Anybody got the phones out? What you get your phone out for? Taking notes? Awesome. We're captivated by technology. Another avenue to withdraw us, to pull us back. It used to be movies. It used to be this. It was the TV. It was music. The, the, it, the new... The new Uh, technology is probably the most damning to every single one of us if we're not careful. We just can't put it down. Did they like my picture? I've got to look to see if they love me. She can't believe it. I've only had one like. But look how I was posing. We're captivated by it. Instant message, that's the worst thing ever. My eyes keep getting averted when my phone lights up. I'm going to sling my phone one day. And I hope I don't find it. The family, bam, there, come, now. We are constantly bombarded. Constantly bombarded. The captivation of technology is literally destroying families. I had a lady here. I invited her from storehouse to be here today with her son. Oh, my word. Throwed a hissy fit. Hit the deck. And I'm thinking, good job you ain't my kid. Because he wanted to go home and play. Not in the yard, on his games. I said, do you think this is a problem? I said, I think that's a problem. Take every game off him and see what he says. I thought the kid was going to have a heart attack. What? I said, if you don't be quiet, I'd take everything off you. (laughs) Not my kid. I was kind of messing, but I wasn't. Smiling as I was saying it. Yes, spoiled little what's it. But he was, he was dying for his technology. I said, he's been out this summer playing. Nope, in his bedroom all summer. 
And I'd read an article that it literally is 50 plus percentage of children today that don't even leave their homes anymore. They will sit and play on a screen, completely void of everything else. They get so irate. I even heard at the same conversation about a 20-year-old that he absolutely cussed his parents out, cussed her out, cussed them out because he lost on FIFA. Smashed the controllers, 20 years of age. I'm like, wow. That is when you know you've got some major issues. <laughs> Captivated, texting. Got a text. Got a text in church. Just give me a, you know, 45 minutes on a Sunday or a Thursday, will you? I don't text because I can't. So don't, don't just think of this. People are on Facebook. I've done it in churches. I walk up there. I haven't done it here. When I'm on deputation, I love deputation because I'm leaving. I mean, I hit it hard and poo, half to Texas I go from Louisiana. But I walk around the church and, I, and, and I, 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 I ask people, who are you texting? They die. I said, am I boring? No. I said, well, put it down then. In fact, pastor, put a basket at the end so when they come in, at least they'll give God a few minutes. And they're all sitting there going, I can't believe this guy. He's mean. I need my fix. Snap. Snap. Uh-huh. I gotta get my fix. And all the time God's going, I am your fix. I got everything for you. But this, this, this world that you're living in is destroying your soul. Completely destroying everything about you. The immediate gratification of being able to see something that we want to see. The media blitzes that dominates the airwaves, the advertisements that are created to captivate us. Remember the <laughs> the milk tray man? Do do do. That was in the sixties, not the fifties. I still remember him. Does anyone remember the milk tray man? Well, you wouldn't remember him, Deandra. Would you remember him, man? When he'd dive off a cliff, look down and be a shark. And he'd have, he'd have a box of chocolates on his wrist. He'd put a knife in his mouth to swim to a yacht. All because the lady... Loves milk tray. So how good are advertisements? The one of the funniest advertisements I'd ever forget for years and years with them stupid little moon people. They pay with their main metal knives. Do you remember that? They smash in there. You remember that? Them little moon people. Mashed potatoes. They peel in with their middle knives. They smash in their heads. <laughs> I mean, it was brilliant. But look how good it is. I remember it like yesterday. Woo! Anybody else? Want to throw a couple in there for us? 
It is a legal form of brainwashing. It is brainwashing. Look how I can still remember it. Do you remember the monkeys? Typhoon tea? Brilliant. Do you remember the one, Mr. Shifter, who moved the piano down the stairs? And the piano fell down the stairs, and the old man sitting down there. <laughs> my, my brother fell off the couch at this. The old man sitting there, the monkey with his brilliant chimpanzee, got his coveralls on. And he looks. And his son standing at the end of the piano. And the chimpanzee sitting there. And, the, and his son goes, Dad, do you know the piano is on my foot? He said, you hum it, son, and I'll play it. <laughs> my brother fell off the couch. He really did. He laughed that hard he gambled onto the floor. That was one of the funniest things. But that's what it's meant to do. And then we have today. Why does it take a naked woman to sell after shame? She doesn't come with the bottle, men. As much as you probably might go, oh, I'll get some of that. If I get that, I might get one of them. Not a chance. Look in the mirror before you buy your perfumes. It's mental, isn't it? But you don't forget it. We've still got it embedded in our souls, embedded in our mind. If I start to think even more, I start looking back and I can remember so many of them that literally entrapped me. Going to the store, you want to buy milk tray. You wanted to buy Thai food tea because of the monkeys. You did. Cigarette companies made it all look wonderful. Even though they're killing themselves, like, but they made it look wonderful. They want to go out and get a ciggy and look like the big cowboy in the westerns. But you did. Ansel's bitter men, the boozing ones. Have you noticed I've stopped all these advertisements now? Because people realised it was killing them. And they actually went to the government and said, You've got to check these things off the TV. We're killing everybody around us. I'd love, I remember being a little boy going to a wedding and, and there was these like doors that swung like ranch doors and the Ansel's Bitter Men advertisement was these big rusty tufty men coming through these doors Ansel's Bitter Men if you can't beat them join them when I remember being about five and we went to a wedding and them doors were at the wedding I was five years of age I wanted to be Ansel's bitter man. My dad caught me sipping it. Because it was good. Because I wanted to <laughs> through those doors or slap big and be an Ansel's bitter man. And my dad beat the tar out of me. What are you doing? I want to be an Ansel's bitter man. You let me watch it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hello. So let me just kind of continue a little bit here. Goodness, make of the time. Oh my, I didn't realise the time. Can I, can I just go for a bit? So come on, go on, just say yeah. Come on, eh? just come on, come on, you're my heart, you're my heart. 
still dominates the airwaves. All the things that have captivated us visually. The image is embedded in my mind and it will continue to replay until eventually I will think about what I've seen and their goal is for us to act upon it. Everything now today, as I just said, has become sexualized. It is using the flesh of humans to get the flesh of humans because it works. It works. It's sexualized. Music is sexualized. I mean, never, never was like this, but today it is. The world knows that we are enthralled by what we see. The God of this world blinds the minds. This is so easy for him to do today because every avenue is an extension of how to blind the masses. It really is. The media plays on the minds of society's brainwashing. I have a book called Powerful Choices by Powerful Effects by a media expert. I actually know the woman who wrote it. And she said every so many frames, they used to put subliminal messages into advertisements. That your brain says, I want that, and you don't even know what you're looking at because it just, it just goes in. I forgot how many, uh, how many frames come up a, a, a second or a minute, but each, every fourth or fifth one has something that's projected on the screen that your mind and eyes can pick up, but you personally don't see. It is disgusting. But it, that's what the world knows. We need visual stimulation because when we get visual stimulation, it sets into our mind. It will then set into our heart if we're not careful. Form of clothing. What are you going to wear next? Even the, the media can sway us to vote elections of prime ministers, presidents, your next perfume to buy, the next item of clothing that you just have to have. It's got to be fitting in with the new fads and the fashion. Your next car, your holiday, what you have for breakfast. But bombarded by it. Amen? Anybody had breakfast this morning? Somebody said no. Might be fasting. Crazy. But watch. You know what you have for breakfast, but all of a sudden, up comes something which is amazing to me. And all of a sudden, in the midst of of an advertisement, I watched a lady, a BBC woman, Israel are the aggressors, and everyone should stop buying their products. Everything between two, two, BBC just dropped it in there. And I went, what on earth happened to that? Stop, they're the aggressors, they should not defend their homeland and they should be kicked out or wiped, this two-state solution and on and on and on and bam, and he went back to some breakfast advertisement. I thought, you sly, sly, sly devil. Just put that in my mind as I'm thinking I'll have cornflakes in a few minutes. And it is the way it works, it's the way it's done it to us and Satan knows that how weak we truly are in the mind, he knows the fragility of our life. A sly way of getting us to do what he actually wants us to do. Because what happens, what you see becomes in your mind. And then if you're not careful, it can become the truth. It will manipulate you, dominate your thoughts. And we are trapped and we don't even know why. We're done. We're trapped. We've got a cage we're living in. And we have to get used to living in a cage. We're living in a trap. And you make your bed, and you make your, I've said it before here, you get your curtains right, put your bed, put your side tab, because you are in a prison, and you don't even realize that you are. Because everything is now captivated. 
I'm done. I'm trapped. And I don't even know that I am trapped. But what's the message? Focus on what you can't see. Ladies who were here before me, put your hands up. Ladies that were here before me, one, two, three, four, there's five, six of you. Let me, I'm, I'm changing this. Give me a few minutes this morning. I don't, I'm not going to be a pain, but let, let me do this this morning. Did you, ever, did you ever see the bottom picture when you saw the top picture? Did you ever see the bottom picture when you saw the top picture? What was you praying for? What did you pray for 34 years ago? Oh, thanks for that one. <laughs> but what was you praying for that this church would affect? Change people's lives. But you never saw the button, but you had the faith to walk into that. You had the faith to buy that and say, well, turn it into a church. But you never knew that was coming, did you? There's the old, remember that? Horrible chairs. That's why I can preach longer on Sundays because you've got big stuffed chairs. The plastic, nasty, yellow ones, I couldn't stand them. And they would bend when you sat in your back. Oh. Did you ever see the bottom picture? No, middle one, middle picture. Sorry, not the bottom. Did you ever see those pictures together? Did you ever envisage, have faith to believe from there you'd go to there? And I know from there one day it'll be ten times bigger than somewhere else. But did you ever look at that when, when I, this is 17 years ago, this is how tiny Patrick is, he's on the drums. He was ten, on the drums. But I never envisaged, I didn't look at this when I was looking at that. But I began to pray for this when I was in that. I remember the day that I said, we're going to build a new church. I remember saying it to everybody. Well, everybody that was there. I remember saying, we're going to build a new church. We're going to have offices. We're going to have a conference rooms. We're going to have, we're going to have a Sunday school. We're going to have a daycare. And it was like that in 2002 when I said it. I envisioned some, I had, a, I had a vision of something, even though I was in that condition, I knew one day there was going to be something like that. I knew one day with that little guitar down there and that little boy on the drums, that one day, there, if, if I kept going, there's going to be a picture like that instead of that one. That was what you, that's what it was like when you first bought the building, right on the top. But you, I know that you never would have envisioned what the actual outcome was going to be. That's amazing pictures. Show me my house. Lolita, are you in here? You remember a long time ago you sent me a picture. What's this? This is mental. This is crazy. The top picture and the bottom picture was the last house that we had. It was a waterfront property. The, the Chesapeake Bay is behind us, basically. Lolita sent me a picture. When I built that house... That is the house I left to come to be the pastor of this church. If you look at that middle section of the church, can you see, can you see it? And look at my house. 
It's exactly the same. When I lived in another home before that one, the last the house I had before that one was twice that size. I was studying my kitchen. Keep it up there. I studied my kitchen. And I had a ten I was looking over ten acres of land. It was a beautiful, beautiful home. And the Lord came into the kitchen when I was standing there thinking, not too bad for a kid from a council estate in Birmingham. As I viewed the land that I owed and this beautiful home that I was in. And the Lord said something to me which blew my mind. You built this, but I'm going to take this all away from you. And what you build next, I will build through you. Well, what made me think of this, because I realized what I built next became the church that I began to pastor in. Now, Lisa, you sent me that years ago. Yes. It, look at the windows and the way they are and the way the placements are. And I, I, I realized when the Lord told me in my larger house than that, what you build next, I'm going to build it through you. And I will be glorified in that. And I didn't realize that what I'd built was the exact place I was going to go and be a pastor to. God told me that was going to be the place that I would be eventually at that would give him glory. I couldn't believe it when you sent me that. It just made me weep. Because he said, what you build next is what's going to give me glory. And I looked at that, and I looked at that, and I went, that's all, our whole goal is to give God glory as a congregation in the middle of Liverpool. That's the whole purpose of our life. But I never envisioned with building that house that it was going to be that building right there. And the woman that told me I was going to be her pastor, I never envisioned that I would one day put her name on there to give her recognition if it was her that told me that God said that I would be the pastor of her church. And I keep telling the O'Neill family, this is not Maggie's church, it's Jesus' church. Maggie's name's on the building. Up there. Because I put it there. Because I wanted to give honour to the vessel of God. It came to me just when I built that house. The story is phenomenal about this. That's where the, the Lord in that, the, you can't even see the other side, but when you go to the end, that was our master bedroom. That was the room there when the Lord come and said, you're going to sell this, you're going to sell everything you've got, and you're going to go to England, and you're going to Liverpool to pastor the church. That's the, that was the house, and that was the end. I'd already built the vision of it but I never realized it. You did not believe when you were praying at that old building. Because we don't know, but when you stick it out, and when you go through thick and thin, when you, keep, when you got kids setting fire to your cars and smashing the windows and breaking into a building, when you stick it out, and you don't stop, God has that in mind. He had an old brick building stuck in the middle of Heighton. But if there were people that would just stick it out, God would be glorified. You could have quit so many times and you probably did want to quit many times. But you probably still wanted to quit many times. I wanted to quit the first week I came here. I got threatened about right where you're sitting by Dillo, Marshy. 
dork. And he was a dork. Right here. Fifteen kids surrounded me. Come to beat me up. Oh my word, I got angry. I wanted them to fight me. Is that right or wrong? I don't know. But at that time, I didn't care. I just sold everything that I got. And a bunch of knuckleheads come and told me that I was going to take over what I've just given everything up for. And they were going to tell me what I was going to do and what I couldn't do and how I was going to do it. Oh my word, that did not sit well with me. Yeah, I took my coat up, pulled my tie up. Rolled my sleeves up. And I'm looking at him going, I'm going to bust you wide open. Sorry, Dave, I was a little violent when I was a young builder. I was violent to protect. That's good. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, never forget, and, and I look back and I, I think, Anne, you was at the door. Maria was at the door. My wife was at the door in, in the big, black, nasty, horrible shutters that used to come down. And I felt like I was going to prison. Remember then? And then you open them mad gates as well. I mean, good grief. And I never forget, look, and I, I, I turned back and I looked and I thought, these ladies have been putting up with these people for years. And that was it, sleeves sleeves up. I don't know what I was doing, ripping up my sleeves up. Why, why do we roll our sleeves up to punch somebody I don't know? <laughs> this must look good. I'm going to take you around this parking lot. You are going to be flattened by me. Don't know what it was. But everything that day to me, it was a crucial first ever time preaching properly as the pastor of the church, which is going to be 17 years yesterday. (laughs) 17 years yesterday. So what I'm going to do now, I'm going to change it. Just bear with me this morning. I'll take you for coffee or something after. What the message is, go back to what the message is, Liam. Focus on what you can't see. Do you understand that? The world wants you to focus on what you can see. God wants you to focus on what you can't see. Hello. What a difference. That affects me so much when I see something visual. But then, as God says, if you would just... Take your focus off this world. Look at me. The Redeemer's, look up. The Redeemer's drawing nigh. Seek first the kingdom of God and be right with him and everything else will be added. Put your focus where the focus should be. Not on the world, but upon him. Focus on what you can't see. Hello. You can't see love, joy and peace and righteousness. That's in the Holy Ghost, Romans 14, 18. You can't see it. But he said, focus on the kingdom. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That is the kingdom of God. Focus on what you can't see. How mad is that? <laughs> Hello. Every marital problem I've ever had is focused on me. Hallelujah, she's left. She's sharing. Let me look. Okay. 
Because when you focus on you, you are one selfish piece of work. So when she's, when we have an hour, warm debates, instead of a heated argument, I now have warm debates. That sounds better, doesn't it? I automatically withdraw and make it about me because you're attacking me. And I become the most selfish human being in the world. It's all about me. It's not about you. It's all about me. Every time I realize for years, I've been married 33 years, I got a little bit under my belt now. I know what marriage is kind of about. And I realized what the issue was in our marriage. We always had a problem. And when we had the, not always, when we had a problem, it always went, we separated and it became about us. Well, you said this and you did that and you don't do this and you don't do that. Is that the truth? Is that the truth? Our marriages would be so wonderful if we took the focus of ourselves and put the focus on God, on the peace. And I'm the joy and being right with him and the gladness of my heart. If I can focus on that, that takes care of itself. Woo-wee. Focus on what you can't see. You can't even see eternity. But focus on it. Put your life every day. Focus on eternity, not today. Today's temporal. You can't see spiritual things. Paul said to the Romans that he does not walk after his flesh, but after the Spirit. He focused on what he couldn't see. Am I making sense? Hello. I hope I'm making sense. He focused on what he couldn't see. He knew his flesh was easily swayed. He even said he was miserable when he did it. Oh, wretched man that I am. His words. Romans 7. I'm a wretched man who can save me from this condition. Romans 8, perfect. He goes, but there's not therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. I took my mind and my, my whole focus of me and my life and I put it upon him. And he says, and then I walk after the spirit, not after the flesh, because the flesh is an enmity between me and God. Hello? He, he, he tells us how to do this. Paul said, I'm, I'm miserable when I'm focused on me. But I walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh, because that flesh of mine is an enemy between me and God. Hello? It is. And that's what he said, explains it very, very simply. Because then there's no condemnation. There's no more anger, no more defending me. <laughs> and all you got to do is go, hold on, baby. I know you're going to get, you know, <laughs> it's going to get crazy in a few seconds with this argument. Just a few minutes, what's there? Jesus, I love you. She's not going to shout and scream at me when I'm worshipping. And vice versa. If, I'm, if I go, hang on, sweetie, I love you so much. She wants to kill me. She's got the weapons of warfare in her hand. And if I just go, I love you. Jesus, thank you. Got a problem here. I'm going to focus on eternity right now. Not this temporal problem. It's 
really, would you love to take my hand and worship God with me? He said, I wanted to kill me with that weapon in your hand. He said, I'm tearing my brains out with that, with, that, with that sledgehammer that you have ready to get me. Would you want to worship God with me? Do you know what would happen? I wouldn't have an argument. It would be wonderful. Ah, let's work. Focus on what you can't see. Oh, I'm nearly finished. I can see the pumpkins are happening. They're forming around you. So why, why did Paul say this? Because he's not condemned when he focuses anymore upon Christ. He focused on what he couldn't see. He walked in it and after it, spiritual things of God. Because that's what set him free. He said that in the Holy Ghost, that is the righteousness, the peace and the joy. You can't see it. But my word, you can feel it. Sinful actions start where? Where does sin start? Right on the mind. Sin starts right here. Not there. There. Once you've looked at something, once you then begin to think about something and you don't deal with, the things of, of, of darkness will begin to take control. That's exactly what it's designed to do and that's exactly what it does. It will start with a thought, then the thought becomes an ex from an external force. The flesh becomes consumed by it and the God of this world takes another victim, keeps them under his feet until they no longer can resist and the issue becomes who they are. What's this, Satan? Not you, Liam. <laughs> Put it up there. What's this? So true. Satan calls you by your sin. Is it up there now? The devil knows your name, but calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by your name. How awesome is that? Sin causes me to focus upon the world, get me a drink, get me some pornography, get me some hate, get me some lust, get me some drugs. You just put, the, put, your, own, put your own words in there. That's what sin creates. And that's what we have to focus on. And once we focus on it, then we are out of whack, we're out of control, we're out of the presence of God, out of the will of God. But all the time, Jesus knows what you're doing, but he still loves you enough to put himself upon the earth and die in your place. Hello? Here what it goes. He says, Satan calls you by your sin. You're a thief. You're a liar. You're an adulterer. You're a drug addict. You're an alcoholic. You're a reprobate. You're guilty. You're shameful. Hide your sin and don't let the world know your dark secrets. But out of all of this, Jesus is going, I know what you're doing. And I love you while you're yet still in a sinful condition. I died still while you were yet sinners. How precious is that? How wonderful is that? But watch this, I've got it, I'm finishing. 2 Corinthians 4.15 For all these things are taking place around us for our sakes. So that the more grace, divine favour and spiritual blessing extends to more and more people and multitudes through the many, the more thanksgiving may increase and redound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not become discouraged. Listen to this. We don't come, become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted and wearied out through fear. What is the main factor of being wearied out? You become spiritless, exhausted, wearied, 
by fear. Though our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yes, our inner self is being progressively renewed day after day. Everything's new, fresh every day, but the body is decaying slowly but surely. But inside of me, that spirit is generating some power, some life, some, some belief, some expectation, some faith, some love, some joy, some peace every day. That's what it's generating inside of me. This flesh is getting older. I hit a brick wall yesterday. I was cleaning all of them. I got fed up with rubbish everywhere. I came down, we got a skip, and I'm throwing stuff over walls and uh, things I've done all my life. I got a four o'clock and I literally walked into a brick wall. Oh, oh, oh. thank you, William. You saved me. I even put a text out to people. Anybody want to come and help me? My faithful rodeo partner over here. So I've just finished work, I've come. I couldn't do any. I was done. I was absolutely, I was just done. And I went home. I'm sorry, folks, I was late for prayer. We have prayer at five o'clock every Saturday. It's called Fight Night. We have prayer at five o'clock every Saturday. It's called Fight Night. We have prayer every Saturday at five o'clock. Five o'clock every Saturday we have prayer. I was late for prayer. I physically went home and just collapsed. Then I read the scripture. <laughs> the outer man is decaying. I'm like, oh my God, fancy reading that right now. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I got nothing left, Jesus. I'm whacked. I am done in. But then as I rested, I began to listen to some preaching. I got some friends, Charlie Robinette and, and Nathaniel Harrod, uh, Nathan Harrod, they're preaching in Pakistan and there was a live video and I was sitting in my chair and I put it on and I was listening to the word of God and I seen all the Pakistanis, were, the 7,000 in, in, in the book and I got the hands up and I'm beginning to go, oh God, this is fantastic. Look at these people asking you for healing, asking you for salvation, they're asking you for your spirit, God, this is fantastic. And about quarter past five, I, I was... I was just like, I was just rejuvenated and, and I came in and sat at the back and there were those who were faithful and I mean, I'm not being funny, but there's some faithful people come at five o'clock every single Saturday. That is showing their faith. And let me show you something. When you begin to look at those pictures, that's why faithfulness in God works. You didn't look at that building, Marina, and see this building, but your faithfulness is from there to here. Your faithfulness works. But as everything else takes your attention away from your focus, it says here you get weary, you become spiritless, exhausted, because you're running around chasing everything else except for just taking some time in the day and saying, God, here I am again. You know what's sad? We have a whole bunch of prayer sheets outside. None of the prayer sheets are full. Because everything else gets our focus. And the one that loves us and the one that died for us, he's there once more with his hand out and we just walk past him. Watch us just leave again. And he asks, that we church would come and pray together. 
And I believe that He will come because He answers your faithfulness. And He comes and those who have been faithful are praying. But then He looks and where's the rest of the people? Focusing on the temporary and not on the unseen. I'm trying to be a preacher. I'm trying to be a pastor. And then we wonder why everything is so ridiculously falling apart around us. And then we wonder when we actually make it on a Sunday and we go to raise our hands and I don't really feel like raising my hands because I'm so burdened down. I've lost my focus on what is not, what's not temporal. I'm, I've got the focus on the temporal, but I'm not focusing on the unseen. And he said, you're weary, exhausted, you're utterly spiritless. See, had a man is decaying and wasting away. Father, we know. Yet our inner self is progressively renewed day after day for our light momentary affliction, this slight distress of the passing hour is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and all calculations, a vast and transcendent glory, blessedness never to cease. Wow! If that doesn't stir something deep in your heart, you've got your focus on everything else but Him. But watch this. Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. I can see you, Jesus. <laughs> Without holiness, we'll never see God. If you don't separate yourself from the things of the world, you'll never see Him. When you don't try, when you don't make an effort, you'll never see Him. You'll never know what it's like to feel that love and that peace and that joy because that is what you can't see. But if you focus on everything else but that, then you're never going to experience what God has got to give. You're never going to feel His, his love, that, oh no, it's just abounding love. You're never going to feel this peace that passes my understanding, that joy that is unspeakable because everything else, that temporal life that we live, has got more in me than you do. Why do you think Jesus said the God of this world is coming? And he has nothing in me. Because then he could focus exactly what he had to do. He was not focusing upon temporal things. He was focusing on eternity. He said, but the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are visible are temporal, brief and fleeting. But the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Our faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things that we hope for, being the proof of things that we do not see. And the conviction of this reality, faith perceiving as real fact what has not been yet revealed to my senses, and I'll put it in the old English. Now, faith 
is that substance of things hoped for, for the evidence of things not seen. Can we pray together this morning? I believe that the Lord is doing his best right now to get the attention of every man and woman in this church. He's tried his best for years, even the time, 17 years, September the 1st, 2001, when I first stepped into a pulpit on that building over there. Because of faithfulness, because of people of prayer, people that didn't give up, people have been here, they are also in the building still today. I commend the ladies that you've seen raise their hands. Three of them have gone on, Peggy, Maggie, Rita. And if they were alive today, I would tell you this, that they would still be sitting on the seats of this church. We focus on everything that is temporary. Church, I'm going to ask you this morning, it's time to take your eyes off every single problem issue of your life. Every family member, every son, every daughter, every grandson, granddaughter, grand, every grandfather, grandpa, it doesn't matter who, what, every situation at work, every situation with your marriage, with your family, whomsoever, what it is. And just start to do what God said the best thing for you to do is take your eyes off this world and put your eyes upon me. The heaviness that we have when we walk into this building is not because God's not there for you. It's because you took your eyes off Him and all the problems that you have and things that are happening around you. That means more to you than the one who can take care of every single problem has a solution for every single issue that you have. But once you begin to carry it once more, that, that song we sang earlier, I'm not created to worry. Created to worship. Is a reality here this morning. I can go anywhere today I want to go. It could be very detrimental to my life. It could be the ruination of my marriage or the ruination of my life. It doesn't. I could go today and do whatever I want to do. But something in our hearts has to tell us. This is now the day in my life that everything about who I am and what I am, I'm going to begin to look at my Savior, my King, my Master. He is my Creator. He's the one who laid down a life for me. I'm not going to be temporary anymore, God, in my belief. That's why it's so easy to stop the gathering of yourself together because the temporary understanding and the temporary belief that you have easily sways you from one side to the next. It easily takes hold of you and trips you because your focus is right there. Focus on what you can't see. If you would stand with me this morning and sing this song together, keep your eyes. This is a reality, folks. This is a reality right here. Look full to this wonderful face. And what happens then? 
focus on him. awesome to us. I bless you today before we leave this building. I'm going to get my heart, my focus, my life, everything I am, Father, unto you. Don't let me anymore, God, be focused on temporal things, but let me begin to see exactly what this is. But since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Because when you do, even that song tells you the things of this world become strangely dim. Every issue of life would be halted immediately if you would just put Jesus where he belongs and focus on what you can't see. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for coming and worshipping with us. Thank you for blessing our Lord God, our Savior, our King and our Master. Go in peace, but go with the focus. So laser pointed, like you've never had it before. You put him first and watch God do everything else for you. Jesus' name, God bless you. I love you. I will see you this week. See you Thursday at 6.30 for prayer. What an awesome Savior. And what an awesome God we serve. You're wonderful. I love you, Jesus. I bless your great name. I give honor and worship and praise to you, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. We do. We do. We do. Thank you, Jesus. And as you walk out those doors, fill out the prayer chart. And focus at least for an hour. Jesus' name.
joy. Don't let them leave without putting their name on the prayer list. And if you can do it at work, just focus on Him while you're at work. You can do it, it works. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Don't fill those forms out. Church, let's focus. Don't walk out if you haven't put your name down. I'm calling you and I'm putting your name down. <laughs> I'm talking to myself now and over. And the things of this world will grow strangely. 